Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Lisa Leitner with A Day in Our Shoes and Don't IEP Alone. Thank you so much for listening and following. And thank you so much for leaving me positive reviews on the various podcast websites, wherever you are downloading this podcast. And also, um, if you could leave me a review on the Facebook page, that would be great as well. Um, it's just backslash a day in our shoes, IEP. Uh, I just want to tell you a quick programming note before I start today's episode. And that is that my son has some surgery coming up. The children's hospital has not been entirely clear as to when that's going to happen or how long we will be there. So, um, if I disappear from fresh podcasts, that's why I am trying to record and edit and get as many scheduled as I can. Um, and I will be taking my laptop with me to the hospital, but I, you know, you know what it's like. It's, I don't know that I'm going to have time. I'm certainly not gonna have time to record podcasts because you always have people coming in and out of the room. Um, but I might be able to get some, some blog posts done, but anyway, um, keep us in your thoughts. Um, hope for the best. I don't want to give too many details due to his privacy, um, but that's where I am if you do not see me around much. So good luck, take care, and here is today's episode. Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Block A Day in Our Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner. Hi and good morning. Thanks for tuning in and following the podcast. This is Lisa Leitner. I found myself as a classroom teacher, parents standing at my door for a half hour yeah. and talking and talking and talking and talking and me thinking, gosh, I wish I could help you, but I really can't. <laughs> There's nothing I can really do. I don't really know. And I could just listen and sympathize. Um, and then when I started private tutoring, you know, it was kind of the same way. I would tutor the child for a half hour, over an hour, and then half hour, 45 minutes, talking to their parent after the tutoring session. Yeah. Because their parent would be, nobody's listening to me, or the school's not helping me, or, you know, and I'd love to give them that perspective of, well, maybe they don't know how to help, or maybe they're not allowed to help, like you said. Maybe they were told, no, don't help. Right. You know, um, and I think that puts us in a really unique situation as advocates to kind of go in there and go in there calmly and objectively. And every time I'm in a meeting, I always hearken back to my days as an educator. And I'm able to communicate that with the people on the other side of the table and just say, look, I've been in your shoes. I know. I understand. There's a couple of times that a teacher would look at me and I'd be like, oh, no, I got this. I know what you're implying. Like, right. Because <laughs> she'd say... I can't say anything. I can't say anything. And I'm like, I got it. Don't worry. You know? Yeah. And so it's nice that we have that unspoken language with each other. Um, 
you know, to cover all the bases. So. Yeah. So you live in South Dakota, which yeah. obviously is much more rural than where yeah. I am. Um, when I, I spent my first, until again, until the blog really kind of took off, I spent my first couple of years living a sort of sheltered life because I live in suburban Philadelphia, which is, of course, one of the largest cities in the country. And it, it didn't occur to me that what is available to me is not necessarily available to someone in rural South Dakota. And I would say, well, why don't you just go ask for this? And they're like, are you insane? Like, we don't have that. Right. Um, right. Right. What are some of the challenges that you find with just your, your rural areas? Well, you know, I have an even more unique perspective because I grew up in New York. So oh, okay. I'm originally from Long Island, New York, and I moved here to Rapid City when I was a junior in high school. <laughs> and so I have like 20 years on one coast and, you know, 30 years here now. Um, and what I find is like we have, we have you know, two major, major epicenters. We have Rapid City where I live, um, 70,000, 80,000 people, and then we have Sioux Falls, which is over the 100,000 mark. Um, and then we have smaller towns where we have maybe a, somebody I'm advocating and they live in a town of a thousand people, you know? And so I have to keep in mind what resources are available within that district. Um, some districts I can go to and say, well, do you have credit recovery? Do you have this class? Do you have that class? You know, do you have this kind of therapist? Do you have that kind of therapist? And they'll say, yes, yes, yes. And other districts I go to, they say, no, we don't have, we have a, you know, traveling speech therapist that comes in once a week and she lives two hours away. <sighs> and so you have to really take that into consideration when you're working with your specific district. Um, because we're such a large state and thank goodness, you know, technology is wonderful. I work all over the state. I can just Skype in. Yeah. Um, and so it's, I really have to look at the unique district's policies and procedures um, because each district has a different policy. Um, and then I have to know what the state says and then compare it to the federal law. And so, you know, I actually just got a call from someone in North Dakota, which is a state north of us. And I, you know, I said, <laughs> that I knew. <laughs> yeah, I am in South Dakota. I'm like, and I said, I'd love to help you, but your state laws are probably very different than my state laws. So I can guide you with what IDEA says, but I don't know how your state handles things. Um, and so, you know, I had to advise her who to call and who to look for there. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things to say in an IEP meeting is, you know, if I don't know, and, and a school district is saying, well, we don't do that here. You know, we've all heard that a million times. I said, can I see the policy for that, please? You know, um, and sometimes it's legitimate. They really don't do that. <laughs> they don't have the resource. Right. You know, and then well, I have to get really creative um, and say, okay, you really don't have an occupational therapist here. How can we get one here? How can we make this happen? Right. Um, because you're required to have one. Um, and then there are other schools that, like I had a school district that was a larger school district tell me, well, we don't have speech therapists. And I'm like, that's not true. That's a blatant lie. Speech <laughs> therapist. You know? Um, and so that question is always a key. That, that's always a good one. Great. Show me your policy or procedure that states that. Right. Um, and that's really helpful. 
when navigating so many different school districts from large, large school districts to small school districts. Right. I know um, one of my early awakenings when I went to a conference for low incidence disabilities and uh, my son has vision impairments, which is why I went. And in our county, our county is my my county is almost. And again, we're we're not even the city. I'm 30 miles outside the city, but there's almost right. there's almost a million people in my county. Right. Um, there's actually more people in my county than the entire state of Wyoming. <laughs> right. So for you know a little bit of perspective for our national listeners, but my our county IU and IU is a is a weird PA thing, but we have something like fifteen or sixteen um, teachers of the visually impaired, mm-hmm. and that's what we were working on. And I go to this conference, and if you go out to central Pennsylvania, where it is much more rural, not like not like the West, but it's it's certainly mm-hmm. not not like here. Um, this one um, mom looked at me and she said we only have one TVI for four counties. And I was like, I mean, it was just such an eye-opening moment when you realize that it's, and that's the unfortunate part is that it shouldn't, I I get it that you can't have TVIs or OTs or speech therapists Mm -hmm. all over the planet, but Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that where you live really determines the services that you get. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, You know, when we, um, I'm fortunate, we're, Rapid City Area Schools is great. We have all of those resources. We have those therapists. Um, you know, we are strapped a little bit due to funding, um, so we don't have as many as I would like to see, but we do have those. Um, but, you know, we do also have um, reservations in South Dakota, the Native American reservations. Yes. Um, and so that that's difficult. I mean, I, I have friends that work for um, independent therapists, um, we have a company here called um, Lifescapes, and then there's Black Hills Children Therapy, and then there's Children's Therapy. I mean, there's there's a couple of, you know, um, Children's Therapy Services. There's a couple of places. And they travel. They, you know, they, they're housed here, but they have to drive an hour, you know, down to the, the reservation to give the services that are needed. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and that's tough. And our, our, our parent training information center also has to do that, where... You know, we're so spread out, and like I said, our state is kind of divided West River and East River. It's this whole South Dakota thing. If you lived here, you'd know it. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, so if you, you are working um, in this field or in special education, you have to be prepared that they're going to ask you to cover the whole West River um, area, and that could mean driving two to three hours to go give services. Wow. Um, to someone and that's why in my advocacy I utilize Skype all the time because I really think that this is a resource that parents need um, just so that they have even if I'm not going to an IEP meeting just so that they have someone to bounce their gut intuition off of right you know just so that they can call me or they can Skype to me and say am I wrong (laughs) this is what the school is telling me and I'm like no uh, that is my, also, that's the second thing I always say. If you are a parent, trust your gut. Yep. You know. Yep. You know, and you may not have the educational language, and you may not have the knowledge of IDEA, and, and you know, you may not have the, the background in public education, but you know. Right. And trust that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I say that and often, and... 
I, I say that often to go, you know, if your gut is telling you what to do. And as an advocate, I often say I all I do is I take gut feelings from moms and I help them define it because that's all they usually know is that their gut is telling them that something's not right and they can't put it into words or adapt it to the IEP process. Um, and validation is huge. Sometimes, you know, even if if the solution, if there's not an easy solution or it's a long time, the validation is just so valuable. You, you just, yeah. um, you know, especially if you are in an environment where um, the professionals are either gaslighting you or just not acknowledging your concerns. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I, I love that you said what you said about, I'm going to steal that, that you define their feeling. Yeah. That's a great way to say what we do. It is, because they just, like yeah. I said, they come to you with a gut feeling, like they know something is not right, but they're like, mm-hmm. you know, they have a kid who's maybe melting down, or he's withdrawing, or he's not the kid he used to be six months ago, but they can't, mm-hmm. they just can't define it, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you and I can pick up a stack of papers and go, okay, give me give me what you got, and I'll, I'll get it, you mm-hmm. know, I'll define it for you, or, you know, help you define mm-hmm. it, so. Yeah, or even um, down to the evaluation. Yeah. Like, oh, they did what evaluation? Maybe you should do this one instead, you know, or or looking at those scores. Um, I know a lot of times, you know, parents will hand me a stack of evaluations and say, I have no idea what this means, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and being able to kind of, you know, help them understand that percentile rank and where their child is on that percentile, that's always such a big eye-opener. And it is. It's that sense of relief where they're like, I knew it. I knew it. I was right. I'm like, yes, you were. I knew you were right. Right. And it's not a matter of being right or wrong. I don't want to make it an us or them. But sometimes it very much is that. Sometimes it's that feeling. And and teachers have that feeling, too. I don't know how many times I was in the classroom, and my poor husband was my, my, um, he'd help me kind of come down off a hard day in the classroom, you know? And, And I'd say, I know. I can't put my finger on it. I know there's something up with that child. I know it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, I taught adults, so I only had 504s, but even still, like, mm-hmm. I just remember each each August, you know, I would be handed a stack of papers and they'd be like, okay, here are your 504s this year. You have to, you have to mm-hmm. do, you have to do this. You know, you have to follow mm-hmm. these. And that was really it. Nobody ever mm-hmm. even, that was it, <laughs> you know, here, you have to do this. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just thinking of how much better I could have done by my students and, but oh well. Um, no, yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think of what I know now about the power of a 504, I didn't understand that as a classroom teacher. I didn't. Yeah. I just thought, oh, okay. Like, I didn't understand it was guaranteeing them access to the curriculum i didn't get that yeah no it was they'd say oh well i didn't you know i don't have my assignment that's due today but i get extra time and i'd be like okay you know and and that was it yeah Um, yeah i need you to repeat the instructions okay like i didn't really (laughs) understand that it was because this child was climbing a mountain and they needed these to help climb the mountain Right. They needed these accommodations. I, that never hit me, honestly, until probably the um, the training that I've taken through COPA when, when we really were like, okay, we're going to dive into the difference between a 504 and a IEP. And I remember thinking as a student in that, 
well, that's silly. Why do we need to spend some time on a five four? It's just a list of accommodations. Right. And now I get it. Like, and, and I explain that to families that I work with that, no, this 504 guarantees your child access to an education. That's a powerful thing. Right. Um, and gosh, I just think of how awesome that would be for classroom teachers just to have that basic lesson on the difference between a 504 and an IEP and what it means for our students. Right. You know, and I just think that it's just, yeah, it's yeah. interesting to learn those differences. And I have so many light bulb moments that I think, I wish I knew this when I was in the classroom. Right. You know? So what do you think, what do you think systemically, what would you like to see change to kind of improve this tension that exists between parents and schools? You know, I think the, the big thing um, that I find that parents say is they that us and them mentality, and they really feel like they go into those meetings with whether it's seven people or 14 people sitting across the table from them and how intimidating that is. Mm-hmm. And they don't know the names of the people, and they don't really know what they do, and they don't really know how they're involved with their child. Um, and it's stressful. It's stressful to sit there and try to effectively state your rights and your beliefs. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I think having an advocate is such an awesome resource because we can help break that tension because we know exactly who those people are and we know exactly what their job is and we know exactly what their role is with your child. Um, And so we can say if they say something, well, I work with the child and, you know, I'm seeing this and this, we can then translate that to the parent and say, do you agree with that? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing that at home? Are you seeing that, you know, just kind of that mediator. Um, so systemically, um, I think I'd, I'd like that situation, just that walking into the room and staring down 14 people you don't know to change, mm. whether that be um, introductions before the meeting or them the per, the, that team individually reaching out to the parent and calling them and introducing themselves and saying, hi, I'm the adaptive PE teacher and I'm going to be in the meeting today and this is what I'm going to discuss. And I just wanted to get to know you and say hi and kind of work on building that relationship because as classroom teachers, we know the importance of the relationship with our families. Um, we know the, the importance of engaging in conversation, that family engagement which research is being done all over the United States about the importance and the benefits of family engagement. If we can take that research and kind of apply it to the IEP process, I think it would, there would be more of a team mentality than us and them. Yeah. And the fight. Yeah. You know, definitely. Yeah. Um, And I think that would be my first more, most practical, um, Thing that I'd like to see and of course I want to see more training and more teachers that's just I beat that drum all the time <laughs> people that know me here get sick of hearing that yes Jackie we know you want more funding <laughs> I know I think um I I'm actually a big proponent based on some cases that I had some client cases and I've done a lot of reading on the data that is out there and the research that is out there that says you know and no and no uncertain terms that um, a school principal absolutely sets the tone for the building. Oh, yeah. 
And, um, you know, it's not just, it's not just someone's like philosophy, you know what I mean? It's, it's documented that, that, yeah, what, what pretty much what a principles, philosophies and own personal belief system is and theories and all that, that that is what the building will do. So I think if I had to focus my training, because a lot of principles come up through the system with very little, um, experience in special ed, you know, they may have come up a totally different path. Um, so if I had to focus my training, I actually would, would start with principles since they do have such, um, you know, they just, they have such influence over their buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I've been in an IEP meeting with two, you know, multiple kinds of administrators. And I just was in one where I was so impressed because the administrator admitted I'm out of my gap. I, I'm going to follow your lead, Jackie, because... I don't know what you know. I don't, I don't know the different resources. And, and it was great because it really kind of set the tone for the meeting that, like you said, that we were all working together. And it wasn't that one wasn't smarter than the other or one wasn't in more control than the other. One wasn't playing a gatekeeper role, um, which a lot of times administrators do. They're the you know, final yes or no. <laughs> right. you know? And, um, and he was just such a great person to work with because in, in turn, I was able to say, well, hey, can you lead me on what your building does in this situation? Because this is what I would do. And it really kind of, it was kind of a professional um, respect and courtesy with each other. Um, but then, however, I've been in IEP meetings where the administrator's like, you can save your breath because we're not paying for that and we're not doing it. <laughs> and I'm just like, Wow. <laughs> Okay, so you're basically telling me to tell my client to go get a lawyer. Yeah, right. What does that? What good does that do? That doesn't do any good, you know. Right, right. Like if you're going to say that right off the bat, you know, and as advocates, we have to be prepared for any of those scenarios. But yeah, gosh, it goes so. Like you said, it goes so much better when those administrators set that tone for that team environment. Yeah, and that that understanding right um you know and and even you know and i even find if an administrator has a child that has special needs that helps as well oh definitely they understand you know um because one of the things that i always like to say is like my i got into this one of the first things that started was in being a classroom teacher when my son was four he was diagnosed with a um, rare autoimmune disease and I didn't know, um, it was called ITP, he's in remission now, um, idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura, you're wondering. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to repeat that. I'm a teacher, <laughs> and I'm like, does he get a 504? Does he get an IEP? Like, what? I, I don't even know what to do. And so here I am calling upon my friends to say, you know, that I have in special education to say, help, what do we do with, with this situation? I didn't know. Um, and then of course I got further, you know, drawn into this by helping parents and with my tutoring and, you know, I helped a friend whose child has Downs and, and sat in the IEP meeting with her so that she could kind of feel, um, like she had someone on her side. And that's really kind of my short, long way of getting into advocacy. Um, you know, but it just made such a difference. And I know it makes a difference with my clients when I say, oh, I completely understand my my son had a rare autoimmune disease or, um, 
currently my son has ADHD and he's, you know, he takes medication for that and we manage it. Um, so I understand. Um, and it just, it just kind of calms the situation down. Like you said, that validation. Yeah. Someone understands. Yeah. So what tips do you have? Um, I'll tell you for as, as much as we have here and the resources and the parent training centers, um, and all that. And it grinds my gears when I hear from parents and they go, well, they should offer training in this and they should offer training in that. And I feel like saying, Mm -hmm. and I actually was personally responsible for three years for coordinating a monthly training in my County, worked my butt off to get like the best, like BCBAs and you name it, Mm -hmm. um, transition specialists, you name it. I, you know, and you have three people come out of, you know, out of a County of almost a million. Right. What do you think we can do to better engage parents? Because the, 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 actually, when they say, well, there's nothing out there, there's no information, I find that the opposite is true, and there's so much information out there that it's almost overwhelming. Yeah. Yes. But do you have I, any tips, or are you successful in getting parents to that information? Uh, you know, it, it, it's the same here. We have so many wonderful resources in our state, and getting that information out is so, so difficult. Um, That's why I thought, gosh, if we could let the the classroom teachers know what those resources are and open up those discussions and allow them to share them more, um, get it to our PTAs, allow them to share them more. You know, our Parent Training Information Center had a um, table display at our mall. And I thought that was such a great idea (laughs) because... All the people were doing back-to-school shopping. Oh, okay. there were 30 tables that said, hey, you know, we do occupational therapy, and oh, we do um, the buddy system, or we do individualized therapy, or, you know, South Coast School for the Deaf was there, and, you know, people that worked with visually impaired were there, and the Eye Foundation was there, and I was there, and, (sighs) you know, and, and it was just so great because we all said to each other, we didn't know we all existed. Right. We didn't know we were all there. <laughs> you know, and then um, our family engagement center just did one for um, um, early childhood. And so daycare providers and preschool teachers, you know, they just did one independent of our schools. Um, and gosh, I just think with all the back to school nights that we have where parents are coming into the building. What a great opportunity to have a resource there. Yeah. You know, and what a great opportunity to tell those parents, hey, this is what's out there. Because even in in our, you know, rural state, there's so much out there. And our state offers so much help. Um, And they, you know, families don't get those until they hire me or until they come to me. Right. And that's, that's kind of a sad state of affairs that they don't know that. And so I, you know, that's a great question. I don't know how to get it out there because I'd love to say social media, but it's getting to the point that social media is so overused that people just scroll right by. Right. It's so noisy out there right now. You're yeah, right. It is. And it's just like, I'm like, well, didn't you see that post? Didn't you see that on, <laughs> didn't you see that on Twitter? And they're like, I see a million things. I know. On Facebook. Um, and so it's actually kind of going back to that, old-fashioned way of networking and talking to people and getting out there and shaking hands and yeah 
Yeah, it's hard. I know because I offer things at my local library um, and my my local library has a policy that if you're going to offer a training like that, that it has to be free to the public, which, you know, I'm fine with. But again, I'll hold them Saturday mornings. I'll hold them weeknights, you know, and one person comes. And that one person is like thrilled because they basically got me for 90 minutes as like a free advocate. You know what I mean? Um, So they're just over the moon. But you know, at the same time, I think, you know, I put together a presentation and I put together handouts and, mm-hmm. you know, and they just don't come. Right. So. And yet they're so frustrated <laughs> right. and then they don't know where to turn. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a problem. And I'm not sure. I just know that the few resource fairs that I've been to um, really, I mean, I haven't gotten any clients out of it and that wasn't my goal, but it's been amazing to watch the light bulb go on on families that walk by yeah and say i didn't know this was an option i didn't know this was an option and then just our own networking that's honestly where i've gotten um more opportunities to advocate because of an occupational therapist i met or a speech therapist that i met or um you know, somebody in Big Brothers, Big Sisters that I met that was able to hear what we all hear, that parent that's frustrated and tired and isn't getting any help. And then for them to be able to say, hey, I know someone that could probably help. Right. You know, or for me to say to one of my clients, gosh, I know an organization that could help you with yeah. this problem. You know, and so let's just keep that networking up. And that's, that's why I think what you're doing is amazing. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, because it, it just creates this national network of help. Yeah. But you know what? It's still, I still have the same frustrations in that, you know, parents will ask a question in the group and it'll be something, I don't know, what's a common one? Oh, how, you know, oh, I want to ask for a one on one or, you know, how do I ask for an mm-hmm. aid? And, and that's something that we honestly answer probably about every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't you, like, you really didn't see any of the other posts <laughs> like that, right, right. That, <laughs> that where we just like, cause it's just like, we just discussed it ad nauseum again and again and again. So, right. um, guess I don't I know. Think that might, that they're like in a state of panic. You know, I find that when I get those questions, like I help the dyslexia community quite a bit yeah. here in South Africa, and it's always the same questions over and over, <laughs> but what I find is that it's the parent that is so caught up with their love for their child and their emotion that they just didn't realize that, okay, we've done this a few times before. Yeah. We're just going to do it again. Um, you know, and so I think that's what it is. I think it's that panic and you're at home and you're thinking about it and you got your keyboard in front of you. <laughs> you just fire away. Yeah, <laughs> that they do. Um, you know. Yeah. So, so you do... I'm assuming you work with anyone, but is dyslexia kind of your thing? Um, I do work with anyone. Um, I do specialize in dyslexia, absolutely, just because I have the training. I have the training from the public schools um, with the whole language and the Fontes and Pinnell and balanced literacy. And then I also have the the training um, through Barton with Orton Gillingham. And so, you know, it really, our, our schools really have that kind of balanced literacy approach. And I know that there's a big national fight over which is better. Um, But what I find is I can bring that perspective to the table of saying, I understand both. 
and here's what works with one and here's what works with the other and this is what's appropriate for this student. Um, so I do work with that. Um, you know, I work with a lot of um, ADHD. I work with a lot of um, behaviors, kids with behaviors, you know, because, you know, that's another crisis in our nation is the mental health crisis. Yes. Um, because our understanding of like how depression and anxiety manifests in the classroom, I, especially with the high school kids that I work with, mm -hmm. it comes out a lot of times as aggression, and it comes out a lot of times as inappropriate behavior. Um, and, and getting that paradigm shift of they're just naughty, they're just trouble, we're going to suspend them, to maybe they're having a mental health issue. Maybe it's a depression or an anxiety, and how are we going to teach that? You know, how are we going to fix that um, is kind of a challenge. So... I just kind of do it all. You know, I live in South Florida. I got to do it all, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. So. Okay. Well, it has been great talking with you today. Yeah. Um, thank you, Lisa. It was fun. Very much. It was even fun to just, uh, you know, for myself to be validated, just to know that, you know what, in South Dakota, advocates are dealing with the same thing um, yeah. and the same trends. Because that, that, sometimes I, I wonder, I'm like, is it just because of this or, um, mm -hmm. but no, we're everything from we actually just this week we have a bunch of well not this week it's been going on for months we've for the philadelphia district has a ton of buildings closed these kids are just not in school because of asbestos Ugh. because they're in these ancient buildings and yeah you know be awesome if we don't pass our bond issue right and that's you. you know and it is it's the same everywhere and i think what are we doing to our kids like what right um school climate i think is moving to like the top of my priority list um, mm -hmm. as an advocate, as, as systems change, because as you know, all, you talked about all the kids getting suspended, mm -hmm. um, all the kids who, you know, they're completely like breaking down during the day and the, and they're just calling mm -hmm. mom to come get them mm -hmm. or those who are holding it together during the day, but completely not able to deal no, with anything when they get at home. And I think right. I'm, it dawned on me when someone suggested an accommodation for an IEP that was like the child should have a safe space at school. And I think, shouldn't all of school be a safe space? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Absolutely. like, are you yeah. kidding me? Like, think about that. The child needs a safe space at school. No. Yeah, that's an alarming <laughs> statement when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And school that's that. I mean, it just kind of hit me that like that's where we that's where we're at right now with way too many kids. And we've got to improve this, the climate for them, both the disabled and the non-disabled. Um, yes, absolutely. And so. I just think, like I keep saying, it's a national crisis that, you know, our educational systems have maintained and have been good for 50, 60 years. But you know what? Our buildings are crumbling and technology is moving faster than we can keep up with it. And diagnoses are getting finer. Those those tools are getting finer, um, and we've got to make some changes in yeah. education if we are going to um, move ahead. We should not be stuck in the 1950s and 60s. No, and really, for all of our frustrations that we have with parents not seeing information on social media, today's right. parent compared to 10 years ago, just because right. of social media, is so much better informed and and they're yeah. demanding better because they know better you know they know better so yeah. they're demanding better um yeah. and the schools are going to have to rise to meet the occasion 
Okay. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I love that family engagement work. I don't know if you're familiar. She's, her name is Karen Mapp, and she just really, she does all of this family engagement work that I just adore because getting those families engaged, even if their IEP, you know, their child's on an IEP, getting them engaged, getting them on the same page within the school makes such a huge difference statistically. Yeah. So I can't stress that enough. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for having me. Well, thank you. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours. I know. I could, I could, I'm, I'm so fascinating at parties because I could just talk about IEPs for hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But we'll we'll sign off um, to my listeners. Thanks for listening. This has been myself, Lisa Leitner, and Jackie Waldy. Um, I will have all of her information wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Um, there should be a little synopsis of the podcast, and I will include all of her links and information there, as well as you can always find it on Facebook at Facebook. What's the? It's backslash a day in our shoes IEP. So thanks for listening, and thanks for participating, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Don't IEP Alone podcast. No parent should have to IEP alone. And with a day in our shoes, you don't have to. For more IEP assistance and letter templates, visit adayinourshoes.com. For ongoing assistance and support, follow our Facebook page and group.
Wait. 